0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I'm your host, Tim Keller, along with me, as he always is, and he's hitting his mute button so he calls, Mr. Matt Disher. Matt, how have you been? We haven't got to talk since the Super Bowl. Just real quick synopsis, your thoughts. About on the Super Bowl or just everything else? Well, uh, let's, let's, let's get to the Super Bowl first. Get that out. Listen,
1: the Bengals weren't supposed to be there anyway. At, at least that's what a lot of the the experts said. A lot of the, 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 the analysts the said. Yeah, they weren't quite there yet. Anyway, I mean, I if you ask any diehard Bengals fan, of course they'll tell you that. Of course, they were supposed to be there, and we should have been there a lot. Uh, I don't think that anybody thought they were quite ready to make it to that point. And as we saw through all the playoffs games, obviously all the playoffs games were close, right? They were all it all came down to like field goals and a couple of points and some overtimes. I think when we look at this in the future, the Bengals know what they need to improve. Obviously the O-line, uh, Joe Burrow was getting killed back there. Yeah, There were a handful of instances where we could have had uh, more touchdowns, more points on the board, but he was running for his life. Uh, this is really only his second. Uh, this is really only his full, his full first, first season. Yeah, yeah. He got hurt last year and had to do surgery. So I think at like, he was seven or eight games in last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, didn't have a full season. So, you know, I'm satisfied. I think there's a lot of criticism about the Bengals fan base. People are like, well, why are you cheering on this team that just lost the Super Bowl? I'm like, this is huge. Yeah. We did well without what they would call a Super Bowl team. So I think that uh, Mike Brown's family, the owner of the Bengals, is going to start continuing, hopefully going to continue to invest. And <laughs> who knows, man? I think we're going to be here for
0: a couple of years. Yeah. It was, uh, you guys had a heck of a run, a young team. Uh, you guys, got to the playoffs and uh anything that makes the playoffs a whole new season starts. Cause any team at that point can win it. Uh, the Bengals went on a fantastic run. You got a fantastic quarterback there. And uh it, it, in my opinion at that certain point of the game where all of a sudden all these uh, flags started to fly, I, I think it was a, a little, um, unjust. Um, and you mentioned about, uh, Mr. Burrow just constantly getting killed back there. Uh, I'm sure you've probably seen the still photograph, but, um, yeah, yeah, your guys' big number one uh, receiver had made his his defender fall to the ground. Yes. And if Mr. Burrow was just afforded another second, one yep. more second. Yep. Uh I think the Bengals are walking out of there with some hardware to put in the trophy case. Right. Uh, but it was a heck of a game. I was very happy for the city of Cincinnati. Uh, you know, talking to you, you guys, you know, said that the city was just absolutely electric and on fire. Oh so. yeah. It's it was, it's
1: just been it's amazing. It's been amazing to watch it. I think that it, it's been 30 years. Yeah. It's just been so long. And I think that people are coming together, and even in the loss, they're coming together. And I I joked around with a theory that so the the Rams transferred from or relocated from St. Louis to Los Angeles, and thusly yeah. they don't have a fan a well-established fan base. And so my yeah. my joke, my joking conspiracy theory was that in order to create a fan base you have to let them win a super bowl yeah they had to, that, they had to kind
0: of fertilize the seeds right, that are these right. new fans and
1: so you you saw a lot of these these <laughs> pep rallies and things like that where the los angeles fans simply didn't show up and the mm-hmm. Bengals stadium was full of these people and people welcoming them back from the super bowl even though yeah. there was a loss but you're you're right tim you watched that whole game and there was not a flag thrown until the very yeah. end i'm yeah. not blaming anything just on anybody the plays. just one right. i'm like right we we could have the Bengals could have played differently Mm -hmm. things could have happened differently Mm -hmm. i'm not one to sit there and make excuses and and be like well it's the ref's fault or something like that but i do have this this funny little comical conspiracy theory that in order to gain some fan base some of these teams need to win some playoffs and win the super bowl and now the and that's profitable you got to remember that the nfl is a business these Mm -hmm. teams are businesses it's a I want to say that somebody. So I read somewhere that like the NFL is a nine billion or ten billion dollars oh, a year. Billions yeah. of
0: dollars a year. Right.
1: So so imagine if you have teams that don't have fan base, they're not selling jerseys, they're not selling screen time, they're not selling tickets because mm-hmm. because they don't really have a an integrated and they just fan base paid to get
0: this pretty new stadium built. Right. Like, hey, let's How, let's turn yeah. a profit here. How do you pay for that?
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. uh So uh, yeah, it is what it is. We'll see, we'll see you next
0: year. We'll be talking about this in a
1: year from now uh, while I'm wearing my Bengals gear.
0: There you go. Yeah. There you go. You'll have your face painted. There'll be, it'll be a beautiful sight. Right. Um, but yeah, as you kind of mentioned when I asked, Hey, what are your thoughts? There's been a whole lot to share thoughts on uh, recently. Um, you know, Matt two weeks ago you were traveling for work. Uh, so we didn't get to have a podcast that week. And then last week, day before I had to cancel, I had some, um, you know people in my household catch the uh the virus and they were doing uh you know kind of down and out so I was playing doctor you know walking around the house no mask helping people out COVID can't even touch me whatever right yeah you know, let's go um apparently I'm a mute <laughs> I don't know maybe I'm a superhero um you might be you might be maybe i don't know what my superpower i i'll America.
1: i'll be honest tim i've I've not seen Superman and Tim keller in the same room ever
0: mm. ever same thing as Batman just said. anyways. <laughs> um so yeah i had to call off last week's podcast and and what really uh stunk about that is one of our former guests mr matt Askren, was going to be in the area Uh, we set up arranged a time we were going to meet up uh that morning before the podcast grab a cup of coffee uh just you know nice to meet somebody in person after getting to discuss uh all their uh triumphs uh here on this podcast but you know again had to had to call that one off i didn't want him uh not knowing, you know, what my condition was if I had it and just wasn't showing symptoms yet or whatever, I didn't want to put him in that situation. So uh, Matt, safe. next time you're in the area, we'll uh, we'll definitely have to hook up and uh, and grab that cup of coffee. But so yeah, let's let's talk about some of these <laughs> many many other things uh, that we can share our thoughts on recently. Um, just real quick, I wanted to say last night uh, President Biden had his State of the Union address. Uh, I, I want to say I didn't. St- I didn't stay awake to watch the entire thing. I did read the full transcript this morning, um, and I did hear that um, a, a member of Congress, I want to say from Colorado, uh, was heckling him during uh, part of the part of the State of the Union. He he brought up about the veterans and how we need to uh, do better at supporting the veterans that are coming home from from more. Uh, I know many veterans were dealing with issues that are stemming from the burn pits, things of that nature. President Biden's own son died of brain cancer that they think may be, uh, you know, directly related to some of those burn pits. But while he was talking about this, the congressperson uh, brought up that yeah, uh, President Biden's actually responsible for 13 flag-covered coffins uh, in reference to the uh, soldiers and and what it was a uh, navy personnel, marines, and uh, some soldiers that were killed over there at the airport bombing in Afghanistan during the withdrawal. A few months ago. Uh, So you don't normally see that. Uh, There was a light Mm -hmm. boo, um, but President Biden got back to his speech and finished it off. Overall, uh, again, not watching it and just reading it. I thought the the speech itself was pretty well written. I don't know how it was delivered, but uh, I don't think he's the world's greatest speaker.
1: I, I didn't have a chance to I didn't have a chance to pick it up. I was just doing other things. And then mm-hmm. when I do turn on the TV lately, I'm trying to look for footage and, and news about yes. what's happening in the Ukraine and, and quite frankly. I, I know there's an algorithm for State of the Union speeches. It's it's typically the same thing. And I'm not I don't say this to be critical of, of any politician or, or any president. they mm-hmm. they've all done this. It's politicking. It's it's yes. going up there and saying, Here's what's happening in the world, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing good. None of the bad, all the good. Here's what we're going to do. There's a lot of promises made. Uh, and and then, you know, of course, a year from now, or six months from now, we're all going to be going as we always do every year. We're going to be going, Hey, you made all these promises. Where is it? Yeah, where's you know, the good?
0: So, uh, you, you had that, that, that president Clinton thumb there. The you thumb. did that. Real, yeah. You had that. That real is, I do that. You can,
1: <laughs> I can't do the knife hand. I don't, so as not to intimidate anybody. Yes. It's but the you can do the, the and you have to look, you have to
0: turn and, yeah. Different ways and shake your thumb at people. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, um, yeah, you're right. It, it's it is politicking 101. Uh, I did notice reading through the transcript that there were a lot of, "Hey, this is an opportunity if Congress just passes this." He he kept uh, setting up. He, he was he was if, if we're playing volleyball, he's not the one necessarily spiking at home. He's putting the ball in Congress's court, mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, these are things I'd like to see done." It's now up to Congress. Go ahead and pass this. I'll get it signed. Right. Uh, so we'll see how many of those promises get kept. And and obviously, uh, by doing it the way he did, there's that backdoor. Excuse me. Never, never. Well, Congress, so.
1: which this is. So we go back to checks and balances. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't realize this, and 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 you see it in the news. You see it in social media. You see it in pop culture. And it's convenient for political arguments for and for and against whoever you're trying to argue for or against. But the, the idea here is that with checks and balances, there are different branches of the government and mm-hmm. those people have to approve certain things. So lo and behold, the president, any president is not responsible for everything that happens to you all the time. The, re- the president is not responsible for the weather and your power going out. The president is not responsible for this, that or the other thing. So there are those checks and balances, rightfully so. I think a lot of times we forget that Congress has to approve certain things and the certain things have to be. Uh, well within what the judicial branch would also have to approve, like Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court. Uh, We saw this with mask mandates and vaccine mandates recently, where courts were shutting down some of the proposals for mandates. They were saying it's just, it's unlawful, it's unreasonable. Uh, So so a lot of people don't give the checks and balances system enough credit. Now, granted, presidents do have a lot of impact and influence over what we call foreign policy or national policy. There's a lot of that, especially when you are a president that has your party in control of Congress and Senate. Uh, there's a lot of things that can be moved forward and passed, but you're right, Tim. Sometimes they do that. Like, hey, Congress passed this thing. Uh, and it's part of it's a show, quite yeah. honestly. It's a show and you're right. Then they'll come back and say, well, Congress didn't pass it. Uh, and, and sometimes that's because you know, we look at this, we tend to think of ourselves as one big country full of all of the same people. And the, the mm-hmm. issue is that I am different from you in Cincinnati, Ohio versus where you sit in Pennsylvania versus Northern California versus Dallas, Texas versus yes, Maine. We're all different. We're all different personas, we're all different cultures and and personalities. We are we are one country, but we tend to forget that we're not all represented, you know, equally or the same in yes. that regard. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um but like I said, I, I I thought reading through it, I thought it was a well-written uh speech, so
1: I'm sure it was met,
0: uh, you know, with much applause. He did also bring up uh, being able to move forward from uh, mask mandates. And we've seen uh, low numbers of COVID cases that we haven't seen since last July. uh, when we start to see that last uptick, Um, you know, saying they can't make any sort of promises. There isn't going to be another variant of any sorts, uh, but wanting to uh, push as much effort into research and development and and try to get ahead of the curve as best as possible. That way, the next time there is a new variant, uh, we possibly have answers ahead of time. But, um, and then I saw this morning that the CDC announced, hey, many Americans can move on, you know, take your mask off, go about your life as you uh, would have two years ago at this point. Um, you know, there are still local laws and regulations in place for places, you know, California, Oregon, I know, I know Washington state, I wanna say. Uh, so obviously if you're in one of those places, you know, abide by those laws and rules and regulations, but um, you know things seem to be trending in the right direction. So.
1: I, I talked to a friend in the UK just last week. Uh, we were talking about what the city looks like in London and mm. things like that. And they're like, there's some normalcy coming back, but there's still, I think the UK recently dropped, like last week or the week before, dropped a lot of its mandates and a lot of its restrictions, right. but it's still not quite back to normal. And I said, here in Ohio, it's been normal, seemingly normal to a, to a point uh, for a year now. Mm. It's it's been at least from my perspective, it's Mm -hmm. been seemingly normal. The kids were wearing masks back to school up until last month. Okay, but yeah, you know, I'm just glad to see that the world is going to it's it's one thing after the other, though. You know, this is probably going to (laughs) segue us into the next next conversation we're going to have about the Ukraine. You know, pandemic is over. Everybody trying to get back to some normalcy. And now we're seeing, you know, world powers at war with the with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. neighboring countries being invaded. And that's kind of takes us into our next topic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, I saw a meme recently. It was like a cartoon sketch. Uh, two doors, one enter, one exit. Uh, going out the exit door was the uh, coronavirus, one of the little virus cells. And through the entry door was a missile uh, with Russia tagged on the side of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of you know how the news cycles is going to go. Yeah. You know? Listen, get I get that I, old I, news I, out of here. We I, got this new, hot, fresh stuff. If it I, leads it leads.
1: I said this months ago, and I sometimes I say it half jokingly, but like if you look at trends, you know we have to keep the crises going. that's what yeah. sells media. that's what keeps the quote unquote machine running. and I'm not saying that because I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. I say it half jokingly because it does. it seems like it's one thing, one world crisis after the other and it keeps governments in power and it keeps the media busy and yeah. You know, you, you've seen—we've all seen—the slow news days where there's the, nothing to report. You know,
0: the new panda being born at the Miami Zoo is not going right. to lead every half no. hour. Nobody cares no. that daggone all much. It'll no. be cute the first time you see it. In right. another thirty minutes, you can be—I—I like, I already know. Well, i do not care about the panda.
1: Uh, unfortunately, fear sells too. Yeah. And and I am not one. I, I talk to my wife about this quite a bit. I I sometimes underreact to things that people overreact about, and I don't know if that's conditioning from the military
0: or just personal let's decisions see what this is first right and then we'll
1: let's react yeah. accordingly let's settle down and and quite frankly here's the other piece of this if if the world goes to nuclear war tomorrow what mm-hmm. am i going to do about it exactly I I, I I don't have any control so yeah. worry about the things that you can control control the little corners of your world don't try to get involved in everybody else's business but uh, there's no sense in walking around scared all mm-hmm. the time when uh, half the time you know whatever's uh, going to happen it's going to happen
0: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so let's let's get into this. Uh, what was February 24th? I want to say, I'm pretty daggone sure. 24th uh, is when Russia officially uh, stepped over the border and invaded Ukraine, their neighbor to their east. Uh, you know, we've discussed in the past that Ukraine is not a member of NATO, but they are considered a NATO ally. Um, so, NATO, none of the European countries neighboring the US, Canada, none of us have necessarily. Uh, jumped in to help uh, ukraine uh, but financially uh you know with uh, sending weapons machines uh you know armor you know armored vehicles uh, things of that nature many many countries at this point have stepped up in that aspect uh, but we're seeing so far so far i would I would like to say that uh, from what I've been seeing and reading and hearing ukraine if you just looked at the two sizes of these of these places uh, is honest to God, it's it's a David versus Goliath scenario, mm-hmm. almost. Ukraine is holding their own. The the president of Ukraine, uh, you know, during an interview said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Um, I, I, I would say that from today's world leaders, it is a quote that should go down in history. I, I can't imagine too many other uh, leaders of nations uh, being able to say things like that. And then Back it up. I mean, the, the gentleman's out there. He's doing things. My wife um, has shown me uh, multiple like reels on Facebook and things like that of ladies that just go, "Wait a second, who's this man?" You know, all of a sudden he's the uh, he's the dream hunk that all the ladies love and adore. Uh, also, the mayor of Kiev, the the, the capital there uh, of Ukraine, uh, former uh, heavyweight champion of the world, uh, is also staying and fighting, protecting his his home city. In his own country, uh, so I'll give it to the Ukrainian people. So much respect has been earned; it's it's very just. I I have you guys in my thoughts. I'm rooting for yous. I, you. Yeah. Know, I know, I'd like to see this all stop and not one more you know life be lost. But uh, I, until I, it's over, Ukraine keep doing the thing. I
1: think uh, President Vladimir Zelensky, if I'm saying yes. his name the right yes. way, is yes. is going to make waves or go down in history. You know, either as uh, my hope is that this thing is somewhat peacefully resolved and. Mm-hmm they can go back to somewhat normalcy. The worst case scenario is he, he becomes you know a, a hero martyr. that is then written. yeah He's a martyr. He's written yeah. into the history books, which I'm sure that's not what he wants, but he's posted a couple of videos and a couple of statements where he's like, I'm not leaving. I'm here with my leadership team. We're still here. Uh, and in fact, I think he made a statement of, uh, around something like I'm going to pick up arms too. If it comes mm-hmm. down to it, I'm going to fight also. I've got a couple of stats here real quick. when we talk about Russia versus Ukraine. Uh, in terms of military strength, Russia Russia's military is ranked number two. Ukraine's military is ranked number 22 globally. Mm. So this is in terms of size and equipment. Uh, Russian military troops are around 800,000 active duty. And again, some of these numbers could be way off, but this yeah. is what I found in the among the, the interwebs. Uh, Ukraine is somewhere around 200,000 plus reserves plus civilians. So they're calling on civilians now to take up arms, and people are doing that. Absolutely. Uh, Russian air power is 800 fighter jets, 550 helicopters. Ukraine has 70 fighters to 40 helicopters. Yeah. Russian armor is 30,000. Ukraine armor is 12,000. Wow. Uh, and of course, in any in any battle in any modern warfare, the first thing you do is is take air superiority and then try to knock out radar stations, communication stations, and armor any armor that's visibly available. Um, this is what I, I I posted this on on Facebook recently. An In invading force with an equal comparable number of weapons has to have three times the force to successfully invade a landmass. So any landmass, because you have to take into account, you're fighting on somebody else's home territory mm-hmm. and you're going to have probably an insurgency of civilians and you know, home-born weapons, people on the side of the road fighting. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, I've hard, had a really hard time finding any media around this. Like I'm seeing some resistance. I'm seeing the aftermath of resistance, but unlike Afghanistan and Iraq, I'm not seeing a whole bunch of like helmet cam footage or mm-hmm. phone footage coming out of like street fights in the, you know, the side of the highway. You saw this three mile long convoy or 10 mile long convoy, whatever it was, heading into Kiev. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if that were, if you think back to like the United States going into Iraq, uh, after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, we started seeing IEDs and a stiff resistance from mm-hmm. insurgency. I think we're probably going to see something similar. Um, the other note to make here is that. I'm hearing that Russia is is outrunning its supply lines or its supply lines are being shortened, mm-hmm. which means you can send t- all the tanks and vehicles into battle that you want, but once they get 50 miles, 100 miles ahead of their supply lines, tanks run out of gas and then they are paperweights sitting on the side of the road.
0: Uh, yeah, I've I've seen quite a few um, tanks and armed vehicles left in fields um, that either just broke down, ran out of gas, or uh, were met with resistance, and those, those individuals uh, either gave up or retreated. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, there's, there's other places on the interwebs as you brought up, uh, Reddit's been one I, I, I try to go to, uh, seen some camera footage. You, the one was a patrol of Russian soldiers coming in. It's an urban area and, uh, whoever was, you know, on the counteroffensive did a good job. They let them get in, you know, they didn't just hit the first guy that popped into their right. sightline. line. They waited until they had the middle of the group there, uh, try to split them in half, cut off their communication abilities, things of that nature. and. Uh, it's all for, a little for,
1: for historical reference, that's what the Japanese military did to the U.S. Marines when they landed yes. on Iwo Jima. They'd let them come into the island, and then they hit them once they were in the island. Instead of doing the D-Day approach in, in France, where it was, let's hit them on the beach. So you get everybody in one place, or you get them rallied up, they think they're safe, and then you start hitting them. It's uh, It's got to be terrifying. This is also, by the way, the same country, or the same military, so to speak, same tactics, probably, that... Uh, got their butts kicked by the Afghan farmers in Afghanistan in the 80s. Yeah. So yeah. bear that in mind, just rolling in with columns and columns of vehicles is is while an initial invasion always looks like that, uh, I, I, it, it's not necessarily effective when you start facing an insurgency or an armed population. It's not going to last long. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's kind of scary, but uh, I have to imagine a lot of these men and women are probably waiting until they can concentrate their their counterattack or rather their defense Into one place Doesn't make sense to send a bunch of civilians Out in the woods and try to hit convoys on the side of the road With helicopters and drones above You know, overhead
0: Yeah, uh, you want to bring up, you know uh, The volunteer forces and things like that uh, The first article we have is Ukraine wants foreign reinforcements Will American civilians fight? Uh, I've, I've seen personally on social media sites now People volunteering to go over uh, To go over there Pack their own stuff up you know, fly into Poland and then cross the border from there. Um, But most of the people interviewed by military.com claim to be U.S. veterans. Some saying they are en route to Poland and packing their own bags. Uh, None of these stories could be verified at this time. Uh, Others are awaiting things like their passports and things like that. Um, The article goes on to talk about uh, if, if anyone is interested in possibly volunteering to go over there, just know you're not going to be paid otherwise then you're considered a mercenary. They will not supply you with any sort of gear. You're going to have to go over there with your own armor, supplies, uh gear, those essentials. And then also you're not necessarily, you know, if Matt and I decide, hey, let's, you know, pick up arms and go over to Ukraine, uh, we're not over there fighting as a, as Americans necessarily. We're not involved in the war as a country. You're an um, insurgent. You're an so insurgent. We're, yeah, we're just kind of we're combatants, we're floating around, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we may be fighting for one side or the other, but uh, we don't necessarily have any sort of dedicated allegiance to either side. So things like the Geneva Convention, how you do be treated if you were to be, you know, captured, things like that are a little uh, on shaky ground there. Um,
1: they, they they don't necessarily apply. I, this is yeah. the thing, I, I, I think as Americans, sometimes we have to remember that we think of ourselves in a different way that the rest, than, than the rest of the world behave. So we have the largest military, largest funded military, you know, if you take the funds of our military and the size, the sheer size of our, our military and compare it to any other countries, uh, the next 11 or 12 militaries fit into that budget. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of questions I've seen are, you know, Poland is right next door. They're friends. Why are the Polish not coming over? Why are there not insurgencies from Poland? There might be, but I also think that if you look at this 19 million Americans are veterans. Mm-hmm. roughly half of those are that late cold war desert storm and post nine 11 generation. So roughly half of them, let's call it 9 million, 10 million. Uh, there are certainly a lot of, of people that are full of what I would call piss and vinegar. You know, they want to go out there and fight and and they signed up for, I've seen some, some of those guys go fight in Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't the United States conflict, but they went over there and fought as individuals, not as mercenaries, just as combatants. Uh, I'm betting you that there's probably a lot of those people, they're just not putting their faces out there to protect their families or perhaps yeah. their their own names. They're probably packing their bags and headed over there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, someone someone here in the article is quoted as saying, if you if Ukraine were really smart, they would give dual citizenship to anyone who volunteered because that would then protect them maximally. Um, you know, as we brought up and Matt Askren here again agrees that the Geneva Convention protection piece is gigantic because, uh, you know, if i go over there i'm you know an insurgent for ukraine trying to fight off russians i get captured Uh, america normally would say hey we we are demanding uh, you know the proper uh, treatment medical care and all of those things for our our you know our troops that, that have been captured if i'm not over there fighting for an american conflict they can't necessarily make those sort of demands i've i've put myself in that situation and I now have to face whatever consequences are coming my way so it's just something you need to you know keep in mind if this is something you you really are kind of uh, thinking about I know that there was a uh, I want to say it was about sixteen former Navy seals supposedly are already over there in country you know doing their thing It's a terrifying prospect
1: combat in general is terrifying right so let's yes. let's get that out of the way it's it's terrifying but I think as Americans in conflict over the last 20 years in, in the modern day, when you call for help, in a lot of cases, you can get it. Not in all cases. If you ever read the story about Dakota Meyer and how he won the Medal of Honor in Afghanistan, uh, they were calling for help and nobody was coming, uh, thusly the horrible situation that unfolded, but this is even worse than that. You, you, you might not be operating with a team of people that have been trained with you. You don't yeah. know them. Perhaps you don't speak the same language. You're not operating the same equipment, uh, and in, in, in again, I'm not taking this any, uh, I'm not taking anything away from anybody who has served in conventional warfare, but we as Americans, our, our military has a lot of advanced equipment. we got helicopters flying overhead where if you need them or drones, if you need them, they've got IR, they've got, you know, Matt Askren just wrote, you know, again, radio communications, they've got uh, in- infrared, they got guns that can take out targets from miles away. We've got all this stuff and that's how we operate in a combat zone. We're able to Call for help or able to call for medevacs you're not going to have any or many of those luxuries if you go over there and sign up as an individual
0: yeah that's terrifying. absolutely um you know speaking of the geneva convention the next article we have pulled up um i know i've seen a few of these videos of captured russian troops uh calling home while being filmed by ukrainian officials this is kind of raising some red flags when it comes to the geneva convention and its uh guidelines uh, essentially um, it is article 13 of the Geneva convention calling for the protection of prisoners of war against acts of violence or intimidation and against insults or public curiosity. So the fact that they're being filmed while making these calls home, um, it's not something that's going to get any sort of like, uh, war crimes. Uh, you know, there's not gonna be any sort of hearings for that, but it's, it's right. more like a slap on the wrist. Hey, you're kind of stepping over a little bit of a line here. Let's, let's not uh, go any further than this. Um, but you've seen, and obviously I, I don't speak Russian, so I'm kind of dependent on, um, you know, the closed captioning there on these on these videos. But a lot of these soldiers don't seem to uh, really be in the know. They 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 were under the assumption. Some of them saying, uh, we were told we're going in for military exercises. Some of them just saying we were forced to go in. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you know, there's no need for this war. Let's stop this war. Two two
1: things come to mind when I hear that. Either a they were. They're, they're feigning ignorance mm. or or they're forced to say that maybe that's too, like there's yeah, something going yeah. on there. But, but secondarily, the other thing that comes to mind, if they are being truthful in saying that like, we thought we were going to training or we didn't know where we were, we didn't know we were going into conflict. You got to remember this. Another conversation I recently had with somebody else in the United States, while our media is not perfect and sometimes you get the story they want you to see, you get the details they want you to hear. For the most part, we're decent at sharing information as a, as a society, right? Information is not, I know we've seen this through COVID there. People are talking about, well, information's being withheld and suppressed and blah, blah, blah. Some information may have been twisted, moved around, what, what have you. But in Russia, a lot of these, a lot of the information that people are getting it's media is state held the Mm -hmm. state, the government tells you what they want you to hear. So some of these troops may have heard, Hey, we're going to go train in Belarus and we're going to go, invade a fake city and then suddenly they find themselves being shot at and they're like, wait, what's going on here? I don't know. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. And that's why I say it's like, it's really hard right now to find videos and statements from what's going on in there. I've also seen videos of, you know, I think the, the, one of the famous ones that's rolling around on Instagram right now is the the elderly woman walking up to one of the Russian soldiers and saying, here, take these sunflower seeds. So basically what she said, when you lie down, sunflower seeds grow. I think what she meant is when you die and mm-hmm. your body is decomposing, there's going to be sunflower seeds growing out of you, which is the Ukrainian state flower flower or country's flower, official flower. And so you're, you're seeing some of these engagements. There's one guy who rolls up in his car and rolls his window down next to an armored vehicle. He's like, hey, you know, do you guys need directions? And they were like, yeah, I think so. The Russians were like, yeah, I think so. And he, he points and he's like, Russia's that way. You need to go back. <laughs> like, this is a casual engagement of just a guy driving by. And it didn't seem like anybody was trying to hurt anybody. Um. All of that said, when we talk about the Geneva Convention, I'm pretty sure that there are restrictions on uh, targeting civilian and and yeah. non-military Absolutely. Uh, operations, Absolutely. and we're seeing a lot of that right now. You're seeing yeah. missiles impacting uh, apartment buildings uh, and houses yeah, and houses. schools and things like that. So conflict always has, wars always have violations of the Geneva Convention. There are always egregious acts. I would not mm-hmm. say that interviewing somebody and asking them why they're here
0: is one of them. Um, as a matter of fact, the international Criminal Court's chief prosecutor Kareem Khan, um, said in a press release that he planned to begin an investigation as rapidly as possible into potential war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by Russia tied to the bombing and shelling of civilian buildings. Uh, you know I've, that's one of the most common videos I'm seeing out there is the uh, the airstrikes in civilian areas, known civilian areas. Um, I'm assuming You know, I don't have any knowledge, but knowing that Russia's military is listed as number two, I'm going to assume that they have a very good intel um, side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to guess that they would say we had intel that, you know, target X, Y or Z was in this area. Um, It still doesn't account for the fact that you are uh, knowingly uh, bombing and shelling an area full of civilians just to try to get uh, one target. Um, right. And, you, and, and, yeah, yeah. And I think I think the other piece here is
1: that we, we know from years of conflict and, and almost every conflict we've ever seen or witnessed that certain organizations will set up their anti-aircraft guns or their mortars in a schoolyard or an mm-hmm. apartment building complex. And, and the reason for that is because uh, in some cases they know, you know, we as Americans uh, in many cases, and I, I say this from real experience, and and I think a lot of us can attest to this we would be very careful or we would take a a lot of pride in not hitting those types of targets or not having that collateral damage. I I distinctly remember going through anti-armor school. This was in 2002 uh, in in the Marine Corps uh, division schools, Camp Pendleton in uh, Margarita. And they told us about the small rockets, uh, small as a shoulder fired Mm -hmm. uh, rocket system, anti-armor rocket system. But we had the thermobaric rounds. We had some other, h-e-d-p rounds anti-armor armor armor piercing rounds but they said you're not allowed to fire these or you're restricted from firing these into buildings so that you don't have collateral damage And, and the idea was and the lesson in this class was we're going out there to defeat an enemy we're shooting at armor and vehicles but if the bad guys are in a in a house don't destroy that house because that's somebody's house and i thought to myself as a you know as a 20 year old in the marine corps i'm like so like if bad guys are inside of a house, we can't sh- shoot at them because we might damage somebody's furniture, you know, mm-hmm. but that was really the conversation we were having was let's try not to to go after this collateral damage. So for all yeah. intents and purposes, you're going after the enemy. Sometimes the enemy takes shelter in an apartment building and then what happens, right? Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Um, you know, there's that old tale of, you know, the 50 cal. You're not supposed to use that uh, against personnel. There's ways around that. You, you aim for equipment and yeah. uniforms are considered equipment. That was the
1: so, joke. Yeah. He's, oh, he had a canteen. I was yeah, trying, to, to, trying shoot to take his out canteen.
0: His, his water supply. Yeah. So uh, it's not the nicest thing, but there's there's little tiny itty-bitty loopholes like that. No. And war, uh, war is ugly. Conflict yeah. is ugly.
1: No matter how you cut it, you got to have like a sort of a people who serve in it have to have a morbid sense of humor. Uh, otherwise, yeah. it'll, it'll destroy you.
0: Yeah. Uh, Russian Defense Ministry spokesman, Major General, and I'm going to try this. Igor Konchachev declined Sunday to give numbers on how many Russian troops had been killed or captured, but said more Ukrainians than Russians had been killed. Uh, He did admit that there are dead and wounded among our comrades, uh, but without giving any figures. And then he added that Ukraine's losses were many times more than that of Russia's. I've seen numbers come out uh, from the Ukraine side saying this is how many we've killed, how many we've captured, how many pieces of uh, specific equipment we've gotten, you know tanks helicopters armored vehicles things like that um but i haven't been seeing any sort of numbers uh you know similarly be reported by russia as of right now
1: and and one is a tragedy a tragedy easy for me to say one is too many but actually the numbers that are coming out it it doesn't seem as high as it should be it doesn't seem as high as you'd think it would be given what we're seeing on the news it's it's fairly minimal at this point hopefully it stays that way
0: yeah yeah um i i want to say uh Both sides met Belarus. Yeah. Okay. I I know they, they, they set up and and had talks the other day on the border. Um, What really kind of sucked about that whole thing is literally within a minute of the talks ending uh, bombings began right away again Mm -hmm. uh, from the Russian side. I know that they, both sides said they they plan to meet again and have more talks. Um, You know, obviously I think everybody um, around the world would like to see this end as quickly as possible.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, one more thing came to mind on the topic of, of if these troops know what they're doing and what their mission is. The other thing that came to mind is that I'm seeing thousands of people that are taking to the streets in Russia protesting yeah. and they're being arrested. Yeah. Yes. How do they know if the troops don't know? You know? Who are these people, thousands of people taking to the streets? I mean, you see these huge protests and, and the cops are rounding people up. This is more of a rhetorical question, not really part of our discussion, but it's more like these are people invading a country. And they're saying they don't know where they were going or what they were supposed to be doing there yet. Civilians in the cities know exactly what's happening.
0: Well, if, if you have Russian soldiers, you can probably limit and act, you know, limit their access to things like social media and the news. You, you're going to get specific mm-hmm. state run news for these, these individuals. Whereas, you know, that 25 year old sitting in his apartment in Moscow, uh, you know, has the ability to jump on Facebook or Reddit or, you know, uh, any other uh, you know outlet that's out there on the internet and see for himself what's happening. Um, and then that possibly is how that word gets spread around the civilian sector I, could possibly be the way that's done, but yeah, I do I do find it hard to believe that um, it seems like every uh, Russian soldier that's being filmed doesn't seem to have any understanding of what they're actually even doing there. I will say this for the most part, um, these Russian soldiers that are being filmed, most of them seem to be for the most part unharmed. Uh, the one had some broken legs. Some of them have some bumps and bruises, uh, but they are being taken care of. They're in good health. Um, they're not being uh, tortured or beaten or anything like that. I, I read Did an see?
1: article uh, right, uh, and I read an article recently or a statement from somebody in Ukraine who said it seems like they sent in their junior varsity team. Like these mm-hmm. aren't even like the crack troops. Like perhaps this is their, uh, you know, it's the it's the C team, mm-hmm. and, and so they're also awaiting. You know what happens once we get to the cities perhaps this group that came in that doesn't know where they are and what they're supposed to be doing is just the initial just yeah uh, i'm not sure it's uh it's very it's very interesting uh, matt askren just wrote you can live stream rt tv which is russian state military i'm sorry russian state media on youtube and they're covering this and they do it in a biased way i love to go out and and source different media sources from around different countries i look at al jazeera i look at bbc mm. I lo- I do watch RT uh, because I like to see what they're saying. I-, I don't like to have a the the rose-colored lenses of whatever we're getting here, and we are we are limited in some cases to what the media is telling us. In some cases, it's what the White House is telling the media, and so everybody kind of has the same the same stories. But you know, at any rate, it's going to sound really weird. I I. I hope this thing doesn't escalate into full blown conflict more yeah. than it is right now. And I say that on both sides and some people might criticize me for saying that. But you got to remember, like the, the people fighting in this conflict, they're, they're typically conscripts like they're these are people that have been forced into this this conflict and, and they might truly not know what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're generally the, you know, the, the 19, 20, 21 year old, it's not like the U S military necessarily where we go voluntarily sign up and we're like, Hey, I'm going to go fight in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit different in other places. And so for all parties involved, I hope this thing doesn't get as ugly as it really could get. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, you know, obviously there's the, the economic sanctions and things like that. Uh, uh the Russian dollar uh, and, and the stock market over there has taken a, a, a bit of a beating. Um, so we'll see, uh, you know, what all comes of this and everybody's hoping for the best. Uh, but let's, uh, Matt, you got a hard out here in about 10 minutes. So I wanted to get into at least one more of these articles. We have some uh, veteran focused articles here. The first one being five tips for dealing with transition uncertainty. Now, Matt, you and I are are many, many years out of the transition phase at this point, but even some of these still hit home. Uh, so number one, knowing that separation is hard and you are not alone. Uh, understanding that there's a level of uncertainty, uncertainty, and stress uh, that you should be experiencing. this is perfectly normal. and if someone tells you they're not stressed about leaving a culture, work or community as cohesive as the military, they are more than likely misleading you. Uh, number two is prioritize your tasks. I think this is one that can hit home for almost anything in life. if you have multiple things uh, that all seem like they need to be done right now. Go ahead, prioritize those tasks. I bet you, There's something that can be put on that back burner and allow you to get the most important tasks done, allowing you the time to then focus on those ones on the back burner.
1: And I'll I'll go back to number one and how it plays in number two. One of the things that the TAP programs aren't necessarily telling people, and I'm not criticizing TAP programs by any means, I think it's just historically, these are types of things. There's a lot of focus on how to write a resume and how to go open your savings Mm -hmm. account and get insurance and what jobs are going to look like and where to go apply and things like that, which is fine. That's all great information. One of the things that they don't, that they didn't or have not historically told people is the psychological or emotional toll of transitioning out of the military, of leaving your tribe, of hanging up yeah. your uniform. And for many people, they joined the military as their first job right out of high school or right out of college. And they have not experienced corporate America or other jobs. There was That was something that, that caught me off guard. I thought I was going to come home to my family and my friends and just get a job and plug into whatever job I wanted as a sergeant in the Marine Corps going to come out of the Marine Corps and go plug in. And and what I found, it was not that easy. Mm -hmm. And it was that people did misinterpreted what I had done in the military or they didn't know how to use me or my friends had moved on. I was not the same as my friends. I was not the same as, you know, trying to meet a companion, you know, figuring out how I go, how do I find a girlfriend? Right. I know that sounds really silly. But trying to fit back into society's work. <laughs> right. Like, I don't I don't know how to talk to people because I don't have anything in common with you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it was um, that's one of the pieces that when we talk about number one to number two, prioritizing your tasks, figure out what you maybe what you don't know. I always tell people this and I, I see people chiming in on the in the chat. Sometimes we, we put them up on screen. I mentor hundreds, if not thousands of veterans each year. And I tell them all the same thing. And it is that they have to network. They have to ask the questions like, what should I be expecting? Cause they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's not like these folks are broken or ignorant. It's that they have simply been doing one job in one organization or 10 jobs in one organization for four years or 24 years. Mm -hmm. And now they have to come out to a world that on Sunday is, is wholly talking about football uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the, that's everybody's competition where you've been, you know, war fighting for the last 20 years. So it's, it's a little bit different to come back and and figure out sort of where you fit into that.
0: Yeah. Uh, number three is see what you can delegate. Uh, the, the top consideration here is maybe something as easy as writing your resume is, is just something that causes you a little bit of anxiety and stress. There are, you know, resume coaches out there that can do these things for you. Uh, you can see if your significant other can, uh, also attend the tap classes. Maybe they can take a, a bigger uh, grasp on things like the financials or setting up the move or things like that. Uh, just to take a little bit off your shoulders, while you, maybe you focus on some of those other things like uh, you know scouting companies and, and networking uh, amongst uh, some of your peers. Uh, number four is do not procrastinate. Um, you know, obviously when you're enlisted, like Matt and I were, most of this is kind of just done for you. Hey, you got two weeks till you're out uh, Monday, you're going to go see, the, you know, doc Tuesday, you're going to return your gear Wednesday. You're going to go over to dental. Uh, but let's say you've been around long enough where you now have the ability to schedule these things, uh, do those as far out in, in advance as possible. Even if maybe, uh, the, the, the appointment for dental isn't until, you know, two days before you're supposed to leave. If you make the appointment two months ahead of time, it's one less thing on your plate. Just start knocking these little easy things off your plate as soon as
1: possible. Uh- I, in my own experience, I procrastinated once or twice with my GI Bill certification, mm-hmm. trying to get for you know money for college, and it caused me undue financial strain that I I simply didn't have to do that. But I was busy, you know, putting my social life back together, or going to work, <laughs> or whatever yeah. else I was doing, and I realized I had a deadline. But I was like, I'm going to fudge that deadline, and I'll I'll get there eventually. But then what happens is when the school comes collecting, yeah, like you 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 can't come back to class unless you have it paid by this date. And my payment's going to come two weeks after that. Yeah. Right. So it's undue financial strain. That's just a a great example of, of
0: where I was. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, again, that's, I think that's just one for life. If you got something and you have six months to get it done, um, don't wait until month five to start it. Like, you know, pick away at it. It doesn't all have to be done, you know, in the next two weeks. Let's just start picking away at it. Pick away, pick away.
1: I I tell my kid this. I, yeah. I'm telling my kid this. This is this is exactly what I tell him. Like, do the priorities. And then I, I think back, like, I'm telling him this because I didn't when I was younger. Yeah. Right. I, I don't want him lessons. to make the same mistakes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Learn from other people's mistakes. But yeah. yeah, take care of the priorities. Then go play video games. Yeah.
0: And then uh, number five here is understanding that leaving the military is just the beginning. Uh, so for anyone transition, obviously, the start of your transition will be that first day. But that is not your entire transition. That is the first day of that new chapter. That is this transition. Uh, you know, Matt, you talked about how do I how do I find a girlfriend? Where do I even for us? Like, where do I even begin to look for a job? How do any of these right. skills that I've acquired over these past four, five, ten years uh, fit into the civilian sector? How do I go about doing any of this? This is a journey. It's a process. Do not get uh, you know upset with yourself. Be patient with yourself. If you find yourself feeling pressured. Uh, trying to do too much right away or too soon. Uh, That's again, why they said, you know, prioritize things and, uh, you know, make those lists, figure out, okay, well, I should probably try to find a job. I won't worry about finding a girlfriend right away. Let me find a place of employment. Let me find a place to live. Uh, You know, how am I going to pay my bills? Things like that. Um, Yeah. Uh, But just be patient with yourself.
1: I have found that, you know, when it comes to this, number five, understanding that leaving the military is just the beginning. There's a statement that goes something like once you hit the top floor, send the elevator back down. Mm -hmm. And it's a reference to once you've made it, try to help other people make it. I have found in my own life, veteran or not related, uh, um, that me being a mentor or a guide or a network for other people makes me a better professional, makes me a better person. And I don't mean like I feel better about myself, although I do feel better about myself. It, it gives me confidence. But what I've also found is that teaching is the best way to learn, maybe is another way to put and it. Yes. And, and I get questions asked of me all the time. Uh, there are a handful of people that I mentor on a, and I call it mentorship. It's more like, it's more like just giving fatherly advice. And half these people are older than me. Uh, There have been executive leaders uh, of the, you know, the colonel or general types. Uh, There have been the E-4s leaving the Navy and all of them get the same type of advice. But I found that the more of that advice that I give out, the more questions are asked of me, the more I am able to become a better professional in my day to day work balance. And and, and the work that I do and I'm better connected to these people and better connected to even non-military, just coaching and mentoring junior people who are up and coming in their career. That is probably one of those pieces that uh, helps you to, you know, once you make that transition and you start to feel comfortable, start looking at other ways to help other people mm-hmm. and you will become a better professional, better person, a better you know, generalist in life from that point forward.
0: Yeah, you brought it up. Uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know. You actually may have an answer for a problem that you just haven't encountered yourself mm-hmm. yet. And one of these people say, well, hey, here's a situation I've encountered. What do you think? You're like, oh, here's what I think you should do. And here's what I've seen other people do. And you're yeah. like, wow, I never even would have known to, yeah. to, you know, because that situation never presented itself to you.
1: And and sometimes I give people advice and then I sit back and think about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to follow my own advice. I mm-hmm. hadn't considered that before. So this is what we call collaboration. And and I am a, a a huge proponent of this. I often have 50% of the idea formulated in my head. And all I need to do is bounce it off other people. I'm, I've always been like this. Mm-hmm. I, I like to execute. I don't like to think and plan because I'm not always good at that. I'd rather just execute and learn as I'm going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just sort of my persona. But I have found that when I bounce these ideas and things and, and mentorship and discussions off of other people, I get exactly what I need out of it. And then I can formulate 100% or 90% of that idea. And then I can go execute a little bit better. So mm-hmm that's where that network and that mentorship piece comes in. I think a lot of people overlook that. They're like, well, what's somebody else going to tell me that I don't already know? Yeah. A ton,
0: a ton. (laughs) Yeah. Matt. Yeah. Operations has always been your strong suit. Not so much the strategery. Strategery. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Anyways. Yeah, Matt, you have that hard out. So we got to get you out of here. Everybody. Thank you so much for checking us out. Uh, I did want to mention that we will now be a live video feed on, uh, on, uh, on our new app on the, uh, on what's it called yeah i'm i'm blanking here and i i had it the entire time uh but yeah we, we got the live video feed on um on Get youtube her? well here but it, no spotify spotify we will be a live video feed as well now uh youtube we have the live video feed and you can check us out audioly uh, on all your favorite podcast platform so check us out there i'll try not to blank on spotify again i mean hey spotify never, uh what's up with that hundred million dollar contract
1: well, hey, yeah. Here's the deal. Uh, Joe Rogan has been taking some flack lately, yeah. and if they need somebody to replace him, bring us uh, in. You know, we're your guys, and I'll be very philanthropic with that hundred million dollars.
0: I'll be slightly less philanthropic, but I'll do really cool stuff and <laughs> I'll videotape <laughs> it and put it on social media. So, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, thank you everybody for uh, checking us out and uh, telephone family member and uh, a veteran. Uh, we'll talk to you. I'm actually. Traveling for work next week. So in two weeks, we'll talk to you right back here. On be on the wire.
1: There we go.